At times, we're going to compare the book of James to the Sermon on the Mount. I trust that God will speak practically to us in this short book. So today, I'd like to direct your attention to James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. That's going to be our main verse for the day. James 1, verse 1. James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You once again for that final song, O Glorious Day. Lord, we look forward to that day. We look forward to spending eternity with You in heaven. But God, I pray that we would not be short-sighted. That we would not, in our yay rah rah of looking forward to the day, that we don't forget what it means to live for You now. And I pray, God, that you would help us to learn from this book that we're about to look through. That you'd help us to apply those things that are necessary for our life, that we might become more like Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to all of our hearts. That we might in turn respond in obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. By way of background, which James is this? Uh, right there in the beginning of verse 1, there it says James. But there are several James listed in Scripture. And so I want to take just a few moments this morning as we prepare the case or the introduction for what is to come. Let's answer a few of those questions that are in this text. So by way of background, which James is this? There are only two men named James who were notable enough to have possibly written the book of James. The first James... Uh, was the son of Zebedee and brother of John. The second James was the half-brother of Jesus. And Acts 12.2 eliminates the first James due to his martyrdom. So what that leaves us is James, the half-brother of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So later we see James, the half-brother of Jesus, recognized as a leader of the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 12, verse 17. Uh, Galatians chapter 2, verse 9. We're not going to look at those right at the moment. But James of Galatians 2.9 makes the same request as James of the book of James that we're reading from. And this is this. That they might remember the poverty. That they might remember the poor. And when you put the two together, the James, who is a leader of the Jerusalem church in Galatians chapter 2, and the James of the book of James, they both highlight taking care of the social injustices of the poor. So a couple of other interesting characteristics to point out. The half-brother to Jesus is James who wrote this book. And from this fact, we see contrary to some Catholic tradition, Joseph and Mary had other children than Jesus. You know, it's interesting, sometimes every once in a while, someone will come to me and say, well, did Jesus have other regular, normal family members? The answer to that is what? Yes, absolutely he did. In fact, I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 just for a moment. Matthew chapter 13 And there's going to be some interesting things that we find out about his family members. So first one, Matthew chapter 13, I want to read verses 53 through 55. It says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. 
He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, How did this wisdom and these miracles come to him? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? So think about this just for a moment. He had brothers and he had sisters. In fact, over in Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to come back to that, that thought in just, for, in just a few moments. But in Galatians chapter 1 verse 19 it says this, But I didn't see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So we see once again, James was the half-brother of Jesus. So obviously from these texts, Jesus did have other brothers and sisters. Now here's the interesting thing. Not all of his brothers believed that Jesus was who he claimed to be at first. Isn't it amazing how someone can grow up in the, in the same exact family as the Lord Jesus Christ and not have faith in Him? Um, I find it interesting. Uh, Mark Lowry in one of his early cassettes, and I say cassettes because it was way back when, uh, he had a story about uh, Jesus and his brothers growing up in modern America. They'd have the pool. And it, uh, you know, it's easy when it's James and his brother, brothers and sisters, when it's time to clean the pool, you know, they just all get in there. But James would look at Jesus and say, well, it's easy for you. All you have to do is walk on the water, you know. Uh, but not all of his brothers and sisters truly believed who Jesus was who he claimed to be. They too, here's the interesting thing. They had to come to the place in their own life whereby they would believe on Jesus Christ as not only their brother, but as the Savior of the world. And notice a couple of passages of Scripture here. First one is in John chapter 7. John records the unbelief that was found in his own uh, brothers here. John chapter 7, verses 2 through 5 says this, verse 2, The Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he is seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for, get this verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. Isn't that amazing? It's one thing to say, well, man, when we grew up in our families, we'd brag on what our brothers could do. I had an older brother, and we used to go up BMX bike riding and doing freestyle flips in the air, and we were suicidal. I'm telling you, we were nuts. We used to jump through fires and jump over pits and everything else. But it was always neat to say, my brother can do it better than you. Because I had a big brother who could do anything. But it's amazing here that even his brothers did not believe. Going on in Mark chapter 6 and verse 4, it's a parallel passage to Matthew 13, but Matthew chapter 6 verse 4 says, Then Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his household. His own family. And in Mark chapter 3, just a couple pages back, verse 20, it says this, Then he went home, and the crowds gathered again, so that they were not even able to eat. Verse 21, when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said he's out of his mind. I mean, his own family looked at Jesus and said, this guy's gone crazy. He's gone off the deep end. 
The fact that his own brothers did not believe disproves, and this is an amazing thing, there are those who would like to highlight the Apocrypha, uh, an external set of books that were not part of the original canon. But inside the Apocrypha, it claims that Jesus performed childhood miracles. And seeing that after growing up with Him, they still did not believe, it kind of gives doubt to the fact that He did childhood miracles. Not saying He could not have, but I think Scripture proves otherwise. Scripture proves to be true in John chapter 2. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn there. John chapter 2, and you remember the passage here. The story, I should say. This is one of the first signs that Jesus performed, one of the first miracles that Jesus did. So speaking of when He began to do miracles, John chapter 2, verse 11. Jesus performed this, what's the word next? First. First sign in Cana of Galilee. He displayed His glory and His disciples believed in Him. So it disproves what the Apocrypha says in saying that, well, as a child He did miracles. I don't believe that. Because in John chapter 2, in a book that is authenticated as part of the New Testament canon, says this was the first one that He did as He began His ministry. So we see this once again. Scripture is true. Acts chapter 1. If you would turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. So I didn't know all this was part of the introduction of James. We're all learning together. Acts chapter 1, beginning of verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So what happened? How did it go from a family who watched Jesus grow up in their midst, who yet still did not believe and questioned his authority, questioned who he was, questioned that he could even do these miracles and thought he had gone off the deep end? How does it come to be that they went from disbelief to belief? I believe the answer is found in 1 Corinthians 15.7. James specifically comes to faith after Jesus' resurrection. As Jesus comes to them. And when you put it all together, this James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book that we have the privilege of studying. He too had to come to the place as Jesus resurrected from the dead. And as Jesus appeared to them, He is truly who He claims to be. Now we see from verse 1 that James tells us a little bit about himself by the title he ascribes to himself. Look once again at our text here in James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a what? Slave. We're not going to get into the definition of a slave so much this morning, but we will eventually through this book. But he ascribes to himself a title. He said that he was a slave. And some of your translations may use the word bond slave. The actual Greek word used here is the word for the word slave is the word doulos. The word doulos simply simply depicts a slave. And I want to give you three aspects about this slave. Number one, the slave had no freedoms. He's a slave. A slave had no freedoms. 
Number two, this slave was completely under the authority of his master. He didn't have the freedom to do what he wanted. He didn't have the freedom to go where he wanted. He didn't have the freedom to do anything. He was underneath the complete authority of his master. And number three, absolute surrender of his own will was absolutely expected. He had to simply say, I am yours. I hold no dreams. I hold no ambitions. I hold no desires. I do not control my own actions. I am a slave. The, in exchange, a doulos was given food, clothing, and shelter by his master. That was the expectation. This slave, doulos, was born a doulos. This is an interesting thought here. The slave was born a doulos, as opposed to the Greek word uh, amapardon, who, who by contrast was made a slave. You see the difference? One is made a slave, the other one is born a slave. James uses the word born a slave. We say, how can that be? If he was born part of the family of Jesus, if his mother was Mary and Joseph, how in the world could he actually be born a slave? Isn't it more accurate that he'd be made a slave? No. Because here's how it works. James was born a doulos. He was born a slave when he was born again by faith into the family of God. So by, be, by being born again the second time, by placing his faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior, he was born a doulos through the second birth. Isn't that interesting? We're going to come back to that a little bit later. James was born a slave. So notice in the following passages a key word that is transliterated into the New Testament. In the Old Testament Hebrew, the word that is actually rendered doulos in the Old Testament is the word servant. There are several words for the word servant, but the one we're going to look at, we're not going to get into all of them. We don't have the time to look up 27 passages. But let me just give you a couple ideas. In Genesis chapter 26, verse 24... Genesis chapter 26 and verse 24 gives us an example, and I'm only going to look at a couple of these because of time. Verse 24 says, actually let me begin in verse 23, it says, From there he went to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. If you go back just a chapter or two chapters to chapter 24 and verse 14. It says, Let the girl to whom I say, Please lower your water jug so that I may drink, and who responds, Drink, and I will water your camels also. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. Born a servant. Same idea in the Old Testament, brought into the New Testament. He was born into this. He was born a servant. We could go on. Jacob in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 25. Uh, Job in Job chapter 1 verse 8. Moses in Exodus chapter 14 verse 31. Joshua in Joshua 24 29. Caleb in Numbers 14 24. David in 2 Samuel 3 18. Isaiah in Isaiah 20 verse 3. Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 verse 20. All of these men who were born servants. James says, this is who I am like. 
James joins the New Testament ranks of slaves who bear the word doulos, men like Epaphras in Colossians chapter 6, verse 20. In fact, let's turn our Bibles there. Uh, Colossians chapter 6 and verse 20. Once again, we'll not look at all of them. Actually, let's not look at chapter 6 because there's no such thing. Let me find where I'm looking here. One verse. There is verse 1, 6 and 7. Verse 7. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. He was a servant. He was a slave. Once again, he had no rights of his own. He had no will of his own. Timothy in Philippians. Chapter 1, verse 1. says, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus who are infilled by including the overseers and deacons. Once again, slaves. Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 1 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? He is a servant. He is a slave to Jesus Christ. Peter in 1 Peter 1, 1. John in Revelation 1, 1, our Lord Himself in Acts chapter 3, verse 13, bearing the word slave. All these bore the title doulos, not for who they were, but for who they served. They all served and were slaves to the Most High God. It's interesting when you look at all this and you start putting these things together. James says, listen. I grew up in the family. I had to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And now I am born through my faith in Him as a doulos. I have no will of my own any longer. And it's this man that we get the privilege of studying. Another observation as we conclude the introduction to the book of James today. James tells us to whom he is ministering. I want to bring this out because normally I don't get into too much detail as far as introductions as I speak. But I want us to understand who we're dealing with. James is primarily writing to a Jewish audience. He is writing, as it says in James 1.1, James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. To the twelve tribes. Well, who in the world are they? Sometimes we read and we just kind of gloss right over it and just kind of keep going, oh, okay, there's something I get. There's something I understand. Let's look at that for a moment. To the twelve tribes that are, that are dispersed. James, a half-brother, was not only the leader in the church of Jerusalem, but he was also a minister to the dispersed, or the twelve tribes, or those from Israel. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, just read that very quickly. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28 says this, Jesus said to him, them, I assure you, in the Messianic age, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne... You who have followed me will sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And it says, And everyone who has left houses, brothers or sisters, father or mother, children or fields, because of my name, will receive a hundred times more and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last be first. As we think about this, we can go on to Acts chapter 26, verse 7. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. It talks about the fact that the dispersed are referring to the Israelites, those who are dispersed, the twelve tribes. But you'll remember that the twelve tribes were split into two nations. 
There were the northern, or Israel, or the northern kingdom, Judah, or the southern kingdom. The kingdom split after Solomon's reign. Uh, let me just back up one more thing. The God's chosen people have always been the Jews. I hope you trust that and believe that. But at the same time, it says according to Ezekiel 37, that one day these will be reunited. In Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 15 and following. But the kingdom split after Solomon's reign. Ten tribes formed the northern kingdom of Israel, while two tribes, that of Benjamin and Judah, formed the southern kingdom of Judah. And following the fall of Israel to Assyria, some of the remnant of the northern kingdom headed south, preserving the twelve tribes in Judah's land. So there they are, going south, joining the southern, and kind of somewhat dispersed, but yet somewhat together. So these twelve tribes were displaced or dispersed from their land, and James is addressing in his book, in verse 1, this particular group. So not only is he a leader in the Jerusalem church, according to Galatians, he is also ministering to these dispersed group that have been displaced from their homeland. And of course, Jewish, these Jewish people in particular. And James hopes to encourage these believers as they are suffering trials and persecution because of their faith. And you'll find that as we read through the book of James, there is a, f- a thread that follows through that. Especially as we deal with the persecution and the trials. Sometimes we get in our mind that trials and persecution have to deal with being shot and being stabbed and being killed. That's not always the case. Sometimes it is as simple as this person took a stand and now he's paying a price for it. He stood up at work. He said he stood for what was right and now he's not getting the promotion because he's offended the, the boss or the supervisor. He has the idea of I'm taking a stand and I'm being persecuted for it. And we'll look into that more detail next week. So in conclusion, what can we learn from the introduction to the book of James? Well, first of all, we learn who wrote the book. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. We learn that Jesus had an earthly family that consisted of brothers and sisters that were born to Mary and Joseph. They, too, had to come to faith in Jesus Christ, as did James, the author of the book. And we learn that James was a doulos. He was born a slave, not by birth, but by birth into the family of God. And we learn that James had a ministry that extended beyond the church into Jerusalem. So you say, well, what in the world does this have to do with me? How does this apply to where I live? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, we all need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's amazing that uh, I remember going to... Um, as I did my pastoral internship in Holland, Michigan, um, it is one of the biggest reformed areas of, of the nation as far as seminaries and so forth. Many, many reformed seminaries. And I'm, I don't want to make a categorical statement, but many of those in the Michigan area, in part of their reformed teaching, teach that not everyone needs to be saved. In other words, as we would talk to people in the, in the town of Holland, Michigan, someone would say this, if you were to say, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? They would say something like this. Uh, I don't necessarily need one because my mom and dad are great Christians. My grandfather and my grandmother were great Christians. And uh, they would teach that by virtue of who grandma and grandpa were, by virtue of who mom and dad were, I'm kind of in underneath them. No, you're not. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's false teaching. And even though James 
and other brothers and sisters thought he'd gone off the deep end, even though they had grown up in the family, they still had to come to belief in Jesus Christ and who he said he was. And every one of us in this room this morning, without exception, will only make it to heaven on one ground, the ground of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross of Calvary. No other way to get to heaven. Not by works. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 makes that clear. Titus 3, 5 makes that clear. There is not a one of us that is good enough. Even God's Word says that all of our righteousnesses are as what? Filthy rags. We are all corrupted by sin, born into sin nature, and it's only through a confession of our sins before Jesus Christ and letting the blood of Jesus Christ cover that sin and placing our faith and trust in Him that we can enter heaven's gates. Every one of us has to come to Jesus Christ through faith in Him. Number two, we all can become a doulos by being born into the family of God. See, the difference here, as we said, between the two Greek, or between the two Greek words of the word slave, one is made a slave, but here's the difference. The person who is made a slave fights it. When he is kidnapped and put into a slave market and therefore made a slave, his natural tendency is to say, I don't want anything, I don't want anything to do with this. I want no part of it. You're forcing me against my will to do something that I don't want to do. A doulos, on the other hand, doesn't have a choice. He's born into it. But here's the beautiful thing in creation, in Christianity. We can all be born a doulos. And as a doulos, we have no rights. Not because somebody has taken them from us, but because we surrender them to Jesus Christ. You see the difference? We surrender ourselves. When we say, God, it's not about me. It's all about you. And it's all about pleasing you. It's all about surrendering my will and what I want to do with my life. Say, God, I have no rights. They're yours. You do with me as you please. That's the difference. And every one of us in this room have the privilege and the freedom to be born a doulos through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And number three, we can all have a ministry that reaches beyond our local assembly. I thought that was really interesting. Even though James is part of the leadership of the Jerusalem church, he is ministering to those who are far out out on the outreaches of that church assembly. Every one of us can do that. How do we do that? Oh, we're starting that here the last several weeks. Operation Christmas Child. As we do those shoeboxes, they're going to go beyond our region to another region. We can do that by supporting missions and missionaries. And we are able to impact a world beyond our local assembly. Sometimes we need to be part of something bigger than ourselves to see God glorified and God exalted in all things. But I think as I see this all happening... It's a personal touch too, because remember the final word in verse 1? Greetings. He said, here I am, James, the half-brother of Jesus, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To all of you that are out there, greetings. He makes it personal. You know, we seldom, unless you're one of those just quote-unquote weird people, 
We don't go around just waving to people we don't know. We don't just kind of pick up the phone and go, boop, 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 boop. I wonder who's going to answer. <laughs> At least you didn't since, since eighth grade or something like that. Um, <laughs> prank phone calls. But you know, James makes it personal here. He reaches out to people with a personal touch. And I find that makes a lot of difference. In the world that we live in, I've jokingly and half-heartedly even truthfully said, in Indiana, when I waved at my neighbors three doors down, you just kind of, they wave back. In New York, you do this kind of thing to three neighbors down, they're like, who are you? I don't even know you. What are you waving at me for? There's a difference. (laughs) But it's the personal touch. When people know that you care about them, and when people know that you're interested in who they are, they begin to listen. I think James made that apparent through his greeting and what the word means, that he reached out to people. If we are, number one, a doulos, and we surrender our will, and it's now about doing what God wants us to do, being who God wants us to be, and we've surrendered our rights to that, and now we're taking on the will of the Father who has made us a doulos. Follow this through. We have a ministry. And the ministry requires that we love and reach out to people. It doesn't happen by accident. It's, it's a purposeful, intentional opportunity that God gives us. So the question this morning is, how does this relate to us? In a lot of ways. Because we know so many ways we're going to be just like James. We kind of look at scriptural men and women as the superheroes. But you know what you find out as as you study it, as you apply it to your heart and your life, you find that they were sinners too, saved by grace. They had their flaws. They weren't perfect. They were just people who God used. And I want to be part of that. I want to be someone that God can use. Amen? So the challenge this morning, three things. We all need to have a personal relationship. Number two, we can all become a doulos by being born into the family of God. And therefore, becoming a doulos, surrendering our rights. And number three, being a part of a ministry that is bigger than ourselves. That's something all of us can, a challenge that all of us can can take on. Amen?